Okay, this is Cassie Smith interviewing Erlinda Zamora at the MS Barrientos Mexican American Cultural Center on July 18, 2012. Erlinda, could you please state your name and spell it? My name is Erlinda Zamora, H E R L I N D A, Zamora, Z A M O R A. And what is your position at the MAC, Erlinda? Uh, the position title for the City of Austin is Culture and Arts Education Manager. Um, we're going to start with some questions about your background. Um, the first one is when and where were you born? I was born in 1966 in Eagle Pass, Texas, but grew up in Whitewater, Wisconsin. Um, through most of my childhood and teen years. And what was it like growing up there? Very strange. Um, having come from the South, um, being Texas, and growing up um, with, let's see, three older brothers and a sister that were much older than me, and uh, growing up with a mother who didn't speak English and a father who was very, um, very hardworking um, migrant worker. And uh, he basically uh, was, well, immigration family. And uh, basically we ended up moving to Wisconsin because of many factors, um, discrimination, economy, um, and just the nature of the times in the 60s of politics and um, the economy. So um, my parents thought it was a better move to go to the Midwest due to um, possible positive changes and um, better education for um, for me and for another brother who had not yet um, really gone to school. And my three, well, my two older brothers and my sister went to school in Mexico. And um, most of my siblings actually, you know, were in Mexico. And I think I'm the only one that really was born in the United States and then, you know, eventually ended up moving to Wisconsin and going to school and finishing college. I was the first mm -hmm. one that graduated with a, a bachelor's and then a master's. Wow. And how do you, do you think that was a direct influence of that move? Definitely. I think, um, you, and let's go back to your question about what it was like growing up in Wisconsin. It was very difficult, um, again, because of the 60s and 70s, there was still a lot of discrimination even in in Wisconsin. I didn't get the blunt of it like my other brother that was closest to me um, did. And we didn't discuss it um, in the family. It was not something that we, you know, we really wanted to, or my parents really wanted to, to talk about. Um, so I knew it was there, but I think we were all afraid of it and, um, We'd rather just, you know, continue going on with our lives. And so I think part of the growth and part of the strength was to educate 
ourselves. And I think that even though my parents weren't um, academically educated, they were definitely very um, uh, educated in other ways that gave us a lot of strength, um, internal strength and mental strength. Mm -hmm. And so I think because of that, it, it was nice to have the balance of, of both having gone through, I guess, some of the emotional suffering of being discriminating, uh, discriminated against or knowing that we were different, um, being that we, you could count the number of families, Latino families in the small town that I grew up in. Um, we all, we of course all knew each other but uh, it was it was lonely. It was definitely very lonely growing up, being uh, in a small town, being of Latino heritage, and so I think that also drove me to want to learn more um, and be more proud of why it was necessary that even though it was kind of hush-hushed in my family about, um, you know, a lot of things. But that's the generational um, look at uh, the growth of Latinos in the United States and, and because of politics and because of the economy that I think a lot of families now obviously speak differently, act differently, um, about those issues because I don't, we don't have those issues, I, I, I don't think. It, I mean, they're different. Mm -hmm. um, so I think education was definitely uh, a, a way of empowering um, ourselves. Uh, and I think that my, my parents both felt that that was going to be something very unique and special uh, and important for me mm -hmm. to grasp. Uh, and to be a better person, to be a strong person, and to you know embrace uh, whatever challenges were going to come my way, that I kind of be ready for those. Um, and for me, it was kind of going uh, not the opposite of what they wanted me to, but I wanted to go backwards and first kind of uh, deal more with you know, my culture, my history, as a way of understanding what, what it was and what it is that was making me uncomfortable or wanting to fit, finding um, a chance to understand where I fit within, you know, whether I was in Wisconsin, whether I moved to California, what was, it, what was I going to take away from uh, my youth and learning and going back to what it was that I was missing because I really felt I was missing. And I, don't, I didn't want to put that responsibility all on my parents because they were not that educated. Uh, not everyone that grows up in Mexico is going to want to be, you know, tied into all the different uh, cultural, um, you know, events or holidays that I later became to know as very important for me. Uh, it may not be important for them, but it became important for me because, well, I, we can talk about that later, but um, yeah, I think it was 
hard, really hard growing up, different in, in a place that was so even, you know, there was no culture, uh, not a lot of Asians, not a lot of African Americans, and, you know, definitely not a lot of Latino families. So that was very difficult to find, um, you know, that, uh, that, that community and, that, and even to be able to talk about it with people. Uh, it just wasn't there, so it was very lonely. Mm. And where did you do your bachelor's degree? I ended up getting my bachelor's in art history at New Mexico State University. And uh, originally, though, I was going to go into, well, first of all, uh, interior design, and then uh, basically photography. Then I realized that I, I wanted to know more about uh, history, in, in the history of the arts more than um, practicing it. So uh, that's when I think when I was in Chicago and I visited all those museums and galleries and discovered a particular gallery in Chicago where that was the first time I saw like Latin American contemporary artists, not artists that like Diego Rivera or Frida Kahlo, but like artists that were all, you know, I had never heard of. I felt so connected and so moved and I felt like this is, this is it, this is my place, this is what I need to know. And I need to, you know, get involved and engulf myself in it because it felt so good. It felt like I was, I had found something that was so important to me, that it was going to become important. I didn't know what it was going to be yet until I ended up getting my bachelor's at New Mexico State University and was not very content living in Las Cruces. So it was either going to be Austin or uh, New Orleans, um, Tulane University, because I really felt if I'm going to really develop into a professional Latina in the arts, I really needed to learn a lot more about Latin American art history, about Latin American culture, about Latin American uh, just everything, you know. And so I decided to just pack up my bags and move to Austin, not having been accepted. And um, that was basically a, a huge turning point, probably the second turning point in my life. And when you got to Austin, what were you, what were you working? What were you involved in when you first got here? Uh, no, I we just ended up moving here without jobs, and basically had no clue what Austin had or what it was other than the capital, and that it had this huge university that so many people talked about. And so I started just basically sending out my resume to museums, galleries, and I basically ended up volunteering at Women and Their Work when it was down on 5th Street, 5th or 6th? I think it was 6th, West 6th. 
and they were in this very small, well, they're still in a small gallery, but that's when the founder of Women in Their Work was still alive. I forgot her name. Uh, and, and so, because I was really interested in galleries too, not just museums, I, I was really attracted to galleries. And so I volunteered and, and I became really excited about that. And then I quickly learned uh, about Mexicarte Museum and saw an ad in the paper for, uh, well, two, two things. Well, no, maybe it was just one. I think it was definitely to work in their gift store. And, but I needed, I needed another job in the meantime. And so I ended up working part-time at um, Eclectic and it's no longer there. Uh, but it was on 12th and Lamar. And I worked there for about at least a year. Then, then uh, Pio Polido called me and said he wanted to interview me for the gift shop position. And so, uh, you know, I went and I met him. And I think I had met Sylvia briefly, or he introduced me to her. I'm sure, I'm sure he did because... He called and told me that I didn't didn't get the job, and so shortly after that, it must not have been less than I mean it must have been less than a week. I get a phone call from Sylvia Rosco, uh, and saying that she wanted to interview me about another position, and so I met with her. She said she was very impressed with my resume, and wanted to hire me part time to be a docent. And I was like, docent, what is that? <laughs> and so that was the beginning of an incredible uh, career here in, in Austin in, um, in museum work and, and now cultural work. And so it was the time when I think Mexico there was just ready to to really start growing and changing their programming. And that exhibit that she wanted me to be a docent for was Diego Rivera and the Revolution. And so I was really, I mean, I was just like beyond myself. I was so happy because finally, after all this, you know, growth and trying to learn about my culture and how I was going to do that, I needed to go to school, that I found a very creative outlet, and that was going to be just getting into it through something that I had never done before, but I was, my heart was in it, my love was in it, and I was ready to, to grow and to learn, and to learn as fast as I could, and boy, did I ever. Um, you know, I think sometimes those are the best challenges when you just have to learn so fast. And because it doesn't give you any time to think about, is this right or is this wrong? It's that you do it and then you find out whether it worked or it didn't work. And then you just continue to improve. And so that was, that was huge for me. And then I ended up leaving Eclectic probably after a year, and uh, went to Mexicarte, and that was the beginning of a huge, huge endeavor, 
because shortly after uh, the that that exhibition was going on, then uh, Sylvia, I'll never forget this. Um, about after a year, she called me, and she had this really particular um, sound to her voice, and, and it concerned me, you know. And I was like, "Oh my goodness," you know. And she wanted me to meet her downtown next to Mexicarte, which was Ted's corner, which was not on the corner. It was right next to Mexicarte. And so I met her there with Tita Griesbach, who is also a local artist and very good friends of Sylvia. And uh, the two of them uh, were there waiting for me and um, I was just like, I was so young and I was like, oh no, am I getting fired? What, what did I do, you know? And, you know, Sylvia started crying and she said she was going to, to leave, that she had to leave and that she wanted to provide me or give me the opportunity to be the acting director. And I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. You know, I was like, this is, this is a dream come true, but do I take it? I had so many doubts, you know, because I had never, I didn't know anything about budgets. I didn't know anything about grants. I didn't know anything about, you know, putting together a program, you know. So uh, I went home and I talked it over. Luckily, I had a boyfriend at the time <laughs> that I, or somebody that I could, and that knew me so well and um, knew me, you know, from a lot of my development enough to tell me you'd be crazy not to take this, you know, and that you, whatever happens, you will learn so much and gain so much from it. And so I accepted, even though it was terribly, terribly scary. Um, it, again, a huge, huge turning point in my career. And that ended up changing a lot of things for me in terms of going back or, or deciding on what career to get my master's in. And um, so that kind of changed a lot of things for me as well. Were you involved in other art scenes in Austin at that time? Were you producing art? No, I never, well, I shouldn't say never. Um, I did when I was in art school at, at the uh, Minneapolis Co College of Art and Design from uh, 1986 to 1988. I was there. And then I went to study photography in Chicago for a year. And then I went back to Minneapolis and then studied art history. And during that, that period, I was creating some drawings, if anything. Mm -hmm. I wasn't creating a lot of photography, but I, felt, I, I really felt that some of the drawings, they were more abstract drawings, but for me it was more therapeutic mm -hmm. than wanting to be an artist. So wherever I was, whether it was um, you know ending up here in Austin or when I was in Chicago or Minneapolis, I was always trying to get involved with or be part of the art community and I have, I think most of my friends are artists in some way or another. And at that time um, that you took over that role at Mexicarte, 
I imagine that your community involvement also went up. Could you tell us about how you got involved with the community through through Mexicrisis? Yeah, that was huge. That was really huge uh, because, if anything, I wanted to be a curator. Uh, I wanted to really work more with individual artists or art groups. And I did curate exhibits, um, and I actually ended up working a lot in programming Day of the Dead for uh, Mexicarte, among a lot of other projects, and introduced a lot of new projects, and I'm very proud of because I see that Sylvia still has those, um, even programming now. And so I, I knew we had this really good relationship because somehow I really did fit in in terms of the understanding of community work. I don't know how, <laughs> but I did. And I think it's because that's what Sylvia has always been yearning to do is community-based projects. And so when I see somebody that has such a huge love for their community and the kinds of ideas that she had, I embraced it, I accepted it, and I respected it, and I did it, you know. And so that's when I, again, one of those situations where uh, good thing I got my bachelor's, now I'm going to go get my master's, and... One of the things I, I realized, you, you don't learn, I mean, you learn a lot about yourself when you're doing challenging things. And you learn like the things that you weren't sure you could do that you ended up doing. And I started writing grants. And I started writing grants, I started researching grants and what was getting funded. And that's when I discovered, wow, there's a lot of opportunity for Mexicarte because there are grants that are given to communities that are working in the arts and some of these grants were really um, important in a lot of these major cities like Chicago, like San Francisco, um, all these major cities that had these large museums and seeing the importance of how art could change their lives and how art can beautify uh, neighborhoods and beautify the soul and bring people together. And so, you know, I saw that and I thought, gosh, we got to do that here, you know. And you don't think about it after a while, you just do it. And that's, I was lucky enough to work with artists in planning some of the exhibits to know enough who would be good in going to the communities and you know providing these different workshops and who was really good at it you know and so it was the best job ever you know i mean one one of the best jobs at that time for me because i i realized that i had learned something about myself and that is i love meeting strangers i love meeting kids um, I think I kind of missed out on it as a child because I was the young one, so everyone else was older than me, and, you know, I never had any children, and yet at the same time, family was, you know, growing up, 
family was very important, you know. Food was very important. There were still certain, like I said, even in the beginning, even though we didn't talk about certain things, we didn't talk about the Mexican Revolution, we didn't talk about politics in Mexico, we didn't talk about Day of the Dead, there was still that, that family unity that we had that was very Latino-based. We spoke Spanish, we ate Mexican food, uh, there was a certain way of talking that was, you know, it was the Zamora family, you know, that, that, that was the way we talked. But, you know, outside of that, I felt so, again, you know, I felt lonely at the time growing up, but then with these community-based programs that we were doing at Mexicarte, I finally felt like I was part of something, you know, and that made me feel good because I, f I felt like I was part of other people's families or, or you know, was the voice for other people. And because I had to hear also what their needs were, what they were looking for, not, not just the participants, but the teachers, like what weren't they getting in the classroom? What was it that they wanted, you know? And to be able to provide professional artists who had a different kind of vision than anyone else that they could provide in, in local schools was, was huge. It would have been huge for me as a kid, you know. And I think about things like that when, you know, when I was growing up, and I think that's some of the things that are being lost now is role models. And I always wish I had had, you know, certain role models that would have given me that, that push to just say, you can do it you know, and this is how you can do it, and these are the tools that you, you that, that I can give you to, to give you that strength and that courage and, and that pride in wanting to accomplish what you feel in your heart is really important, you know. Who were, um, you said you were working with schools or filling in a gap of where the schools maybe left off. Uh, who were the other community groups that you came into contact with at that time? There were, um, like, uh, after-school centers, mm -hmm. you know, different, which is kind of a turnaround because now working at the MAC, um, they are part of the city. At the time when, when we were working with Saragossa Center, um, uh, some of the different, I don't remember all of the ones. I mean, there were some particular ones that we used to work with. Uh, they were usually after-school programs at the at the different centers. And so we would basically, to get the grant to go to these centers or go to the schools, we had to do our research and we had to get figures as to the population of the different neighborhoods and which ones had more Latinos that were not being served. Um, like um, even that high school, Johnson High School, you know, the Montopolis. We focused a lot in the Metropolis neighborhood, um, but it was centers and, and schools that were mm -hmm. the primary target. And how long were you at Mexicarte? 11 years. 11 years. And how long as the director? A year. A year. Mm -hmm. um, and then where did you move to after that? Uh, then after I left Mexicarte, uh, I went to the Bob Bullock. Museum and I went to the Bob Bullock Museum. That was a that was an interesting 
uh, in <laughs> because uh, I knew Sarita Rodriguez from having worked at Mexicarte, you know, and a lot of, you know, working here at the MAC now is, it's so comforting because I feel I've seen, if I haven't seen, then I've, I've run into that person somewhere along the line, um, which again, it's really comforting. And uh, I didn't know at the time when I was at Mexicarte that I would ever run into Francisco Chavez again and, you know, have him work on this amazing project here and other things. Uh, but basically, Sarita Rodriguez was, she is a, really a pioneer in arts education. She ended up going to um, San Antonio, but she was kind of my mentor. And I really looked up to her because she was from Panama. And she, I always kind of followed her because I really loved the way she spoke about art education. She was Latina, she was strong, and she had some great ideas. I am sure she still does. And uh, I met her through Mexicarte because she would come and, and she was part of the Smithsonian Project for ed Art Educators. And she was uh, at Smithsonian for, for a number of years. And then she got the uh, director of education at the Bob Bullock Museum. And I happened, I don't know, I just, I was, I knew that my time had come to leave Mexicarte. I felt I really needed to, to continue growing and to continue learning and to, you know, you have to change your environment sometimes. And so I, I, I made my decision that I was going to leave. And I ended up calling her at the Bob Bullock Museum. And I said, hey, listen, do you know of any jobs that are coming up for maybe art educators? And she just went crazy. She goes, are you kidding? Hurry up and put in your application right now. It's due by you know the end of the day tomorrow. Hurry up. And uh, so sure enough, I did. and. By the next week, I had an interview and two interviews, and and then I was the um, adult programmer. And uh, Sarita was she was very um, very helpful in 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 inviting me and welcoming me to a museum that was very foreign to me, very foreign. You know, again, I didn't grow up in Texas. I was born in Texas. So I didn't have that Texas history, and things were different. It was, again, it was very different from what I was used to at Mexicarte, doing more community, off-site, you know, outreach. And then I had this small office, and I have to come up with programming that has to deal with science, that has to deal with African-American culture, that has to do with you know, all these different areas that I was not very familiar with. But it was huge for me because it taught me about programming. Again, it taught me about um, going outside of my little box and talking to people I wouldn't normally talk to. And programming, and everything I do has, is I take it seriously I think it's very important when I when something's assigned to me that I bring the best to the table with it. 
and I couldn't get negative or um, or insecure about it. I had to just, you know, I had to run with it, and it was great. I had the best time. I embraced it for what it was, and I think I had some really great moments and some really great uh, experiences with people, the dialogue I, used, I, I would have with people. Um, and then there were people that, Carmen Tafoya, that I ended up meeting because I would also apply some of the Latino culture-based programming into some of that programming. And when I say programming, I mean like inviting presenters to come and present about whatever it was that was um, associated with the, the exhibit that was downstairs. So what, what, if it had to do with, you know, um, aerospace or if it had to do, you know, whatever it was that had to do with Texas, I somehow had to find people in different areas to talk about the exhibit or talk about the content of the exhibit. So that was a lot of fun for me. I mean, I really enjoyed that. I was kind of doing that at Mexicarte, but, you know, it was targeted to Latino culture or specifically Mexican. And how did you first hear about the MAC? That was a funny one, too. <laughs> um, you mean about the MAC being built? Um, just the first instance that you, you heard that something was going on. I got a phone call. Um, it's all these phone calls. And it was a friend of mine who said that he had seen, I think he was looking for a job. He had left um, Mexicarte a couple years before me. And I think he was still looking, and he was looking through the city of Austin website for jobs. And he said, did you hear about um, the MAC? And I said, the MAC? What MAC? What is that? And, um, and then he told me where to look. And so I got online, and I looked, and I just couldn't believe my eyes. I mean, it didn't seem real. I, it just was like, you got to be kidding they're looking for an exhibit coordinator. What is that? So I looked up the description. I'm like, oh, man, I got to apply for this. I'm perfect for this. And so sure enough, I got it all together. And uh, I got my interview with Amparo Garcia Crow, who was the first program manager, and, um, and Jeannie Henry, who was at the DAC at the time. And so I remember meeting them. I had known Jeannie Henry. Um, she had basically was programming Totally Cool, Totally Art before I think Clint took it over and uh, Clint Haufmeiser. And I worked with them. I worked. We worked with the city when I was at Mexicarte with this project and that's how Mexicarte was able to um, to have that space, um, that building, was through a contract with the city that one of the responsibilities was that we have, at that time, totally cool, totally art programming in their back gallery. And because I was the, my, my title changed a few times, I was either the art director, I mean uh, education director, education something else, and so, it changed a lot, but basically I, I was doing all educational programming, and so that's how I met Jeannie. So she knew me. 
I had never met Amparo ever. And so, uh, you know, it was just the two of them. So I was kind of lucky that I didn't have this massive panel that you do now uh, interviewing me. And it was, it felt so good. It felt so good, you know, being able to comfortably talk about something that I really felt I was capable of doing, you know. And then shortly after that, or even before that, my interview and after, and many times after, they say when you really want something, you have to really picture yourself in that place. You have to really think about you fitting in. And so I would come to the Mac as it was getting built, and I would just drive by or sit in front of it, and I would just stare at it, and I would think, where's my room going to be? Where's my room going to be, you know? And I would envision myself sitting at a desk and, and being happy. And, you know, probably two weeks later, it was quick, quicker than, than I ever thought. Um, I got the phone call from Amparo saying that I had the position and that I had to do this and I had to do that. And so, but it was interesting because we couldn't move in and we had to go at the DAC and station ourselves there for about three months, April, May, June. And what was the transli- transition like when you were coming from the Bob Bullock, correct, to the, to the MAC? It was like almost night and day because of the, the windows. Um, there were tons of windows. I mean, I just noticed like, oh my gosh, I didn't feel like I was in this dome like the Bob Bullock where um, my office didn't have a window. And also, I was so excited because I knew that I had a lot to learn, a lot. And it was scary, but, and it wasn't just a lot to learn in terms of what was happening or how did this happen so quickly, but being a city employee, we had to learn quick. That was probably more scarier than coming to a center that I knew its history and I knew its mission and I was comfortable with that. I was ready to, you know, get moving with that. But it was just the how do you how do you do it? How where where's the paper? Give me the paper, you know? And uh, let's get started. So um, there's many, many stories that we don't even have time for from 2007 to now. Mm-hmm. What was one of your earliest visions of the Mac? What were you kind of thinking it was going to be? That's a really good question, really good question, because when I, Sylvia would send me to some of the meetings where um, that's where I met Tomas Salas, um, Rowan, and um, Cynthia Perez, and a number of people. And I didn't know, in some ways I felt like an outsider because I wasn't from Austin, I wasn't from this Latino community, and I had a different experience than they did, and I wasn't an art activist. So there were a lot of things against me that I didn't feel 
if I opened my mouth or tried to ask anything that they would understand where I was coming from, uh, which was, you know, it was good for me to hear what it was that was driving them to have these meetings and to want change because I have so much respect for anyone who can um, say they're going to do something and then they do it. And they do it because they have a passion and a love and a commitment to, to that interest. You know, it's, it's hard. It's not an easy task. But um, I certainly uh, have a lot of appreciation for people who, can, who have that kind of drive. Mm -hmm. And so when, when I was listening to them, um, you know, again, because I wasn't an artist, I, I didn't need a space, I wasn't producing anything, I was listening more as the role of the administrator. Like, already I was thinking, I wonder what that would look like. So it wasn't until I got to uh, going back to school and getting my master's that a light clicked and that was to my thesis was in museum uh, Latino museums in the United States because I felt that if I had that background or that knowledge of at least what museums were doing in the community and how they involved theater, how they involved dance, how they involved music, that at least I could bring something to the table at some point, you know, and somehow I had this, I had this really wild idea that I could, if once knowing what other museums were doing, that I could come back and make Mexicarte grow even bigger. I had these huge ideas for for Mexicarte. Um, but I also knew that maybe we, it, something new needed to happen. And so that's why I was very happy when the Mac, and so in the beginning I made that, that mistake, well not mistake, I had that thought that, like anybody does, where you have to also, now that I'm, I've worked here, I know the difference of how you create programs for a center versus a museum they're different and it isn't until you're actually in it like I've been that you you learn the differences and how you apply those differences and so you know hearing them talk I knew that it had to be a very particular space and it had to be a very um, technical and professional place in order to fill all these needs because they were huge. You go from theater, you go to dance, and you go to visual arts, and you got to have a space that, that you're going to have professional people working in it. You have to have people that have that, that knowledge and that expertise and culture. And you have to also have people that have, you know, like uh, you were asking, how did I get involved in the community? You got to you got to embrace yourself in the community. You got to be you got to be open to people and, and hearing their ideas and hearing their concerns and hearing. And so I knew it had to be big. I knew it had to be a big project. And um, I just couldn't envision 
the space yet. I kind of was more of the programming thoughts, but not the space. So when I saw the space, it was it was kind of one of those moments where what <laughs> this building looks so modern, but I love that. And in the beginning, we were so critiqued by how too you know, to, the walls being too white, no color, it doesn't speak Mexican, it doesn't speak Latino, um, you know, and people can talk all they want, but you, before I think you say anything, you gotta ask, you know, you really gotta ask, you know, what is it? Why, why and who built this? How did this happen? And then you learn, you learn, Oh, okay, so it was a Mexican architect. He's only done two in the United States. Um, that is so unique in itself. The fact that he's using these contemporary, he's, he's moving forward using history, you know, um, using architectural history and creating a really unique space that functions differently than any space I've ever worked in. And that first role that you had as a gallery coordinator, can you tell us about that? That was scary. <laughs> that was scary because, you know, I say in the beginning that um, I really liked galleries and I, you know, I almost wanted to, I had this vision that I wanted to own my own gallery and, uh, you know, and, and really support Latino artists. But um, I, I really, I'm, I'm all, and then I'm also really tied to the community and community work. And so when I got the exhibit coordinator position, to me, it was like, oh, great, now I can be a gallery um, owner without really being one, you know? And so I, I, I loved it. But again, it was that you're, when you're starting off at zero, you have huge challenges because everything has to be done for the first time. Everything from the space to the paperwork to um, the scheduling, the programming, and how does that work with everything else that's going on uh, in the auditorium? What are those other spaces? So there was a lot of confusion, a lot of confusion. All I knew was that it was important that I reach out to the artists that I knew or that had already known that the building was being completed and they knew about a gallery and they came to me uh, right away for an exhibit. But, you know, the thing is, is that I had already you know, had all this practice at Mexicarte with exhibits that I kind of knew how scheduling worked. I knew how to coordinate exhibits and whatnot. So I had that background, which I was comfortable with. But what I wasn't comfortable with was that it wasn't just the gallery that I was dealing with. It was the whole, again, it's going back to that difference between a museum and a cultural center and in a cultural center, you can't separate all the disciplines. Somehow they have to work together. 
And so that was the challenging part. And, and also finding support from the managers at the time and everyone supporting each other because again, as a center, well, any job, you have to support each other in order for the work to get done. You have to really be a team. Otherwise, it hurts when one or two people are not working in sync. And so I had to learn, we all had to learn really, really fast how to become city employees and how to place that experience that we were bringing for the first time to a building that had no tables, no chairs, no desks, no paper to, you know, to, to the center. And so it was, it was taking and pulling every experience you've ever had to this moment and applying everything you could in, in making sure that things were gonna happen. It took all that energy. And when you first started thinking about the artists that would exhibit there, were you thinking about mission, vision? What kind of things led you to pick to select the ones that you did? Right. And again, it was based on a number of things. It was based on my, my knowledge of artists that I've worked with before that I knew would be a good fit based on the mission and the history. It was also based on the, sur the surroundings, meaning that I knew Benito Huerta had done the Snake Path art project. So he was already on my list of introducing him to the conversation of, you know, how did his work get here? Who is he? And I needed people to, to understand who he was and how he got this project. So there were a lot of things already that were boiling up in my, in my head about artists that had to be here, that had to have their work here and be shown and um, be introduced. And so, you know, and then shortly after that, there were a lot of other artists, you know, artists, visual artists really, um, that was, if there was anything you know, I, I went, you know, I talked about how I felt like uh, an outsider in the conversation when it came to a cultural center here in, in Austin. But at the same time, one of the things that I knew that I had that was important was the visual arts. Mm -hmm. I had that growing up when I was in high school. I loved art all through college. So I was really in Mexicarte and all of that. And so I had I had this connection with visual arts that I did know. And so when I was here, um, I realized that that was going to be one of the things that I was definitely going to. And then it, it, it was difficult because there were a lot of things that I wanted to do when I was exhibit coordinator um, that were very similar to what I was doing at Mexicarte you know, the programming part of it, and inviting artists to come and talk, and including them in community-based programming and all of that. Well, unfortunately, I wasn't in 
the the state to to be able to do that because I wasn't the manager. So, um, what was the question? Um, thinking about the artists that you you put there and how they kind of brand the Mac, the vision, the mission, like why you choose certain individuals to exhibit. Yeah, well, like I was saying, either they had some sort of history with um, the Mac, like Benito, or they were artists that I had worked with before that, okay, that was it. Um, our, okay, one of the things for sure, I mean, it, it's not just here in Austin. It was, I, I noticed even when I was doing my master's that there are a lot of wonderful local artists in different cities that are not getting shown, and they're not getting shown in museums or particular galleries. Because gallery, private galleries, you can choose whoever you want, you know? And, but nonprofits, um, even uh, were not, you know, I knew were not being shown. And unless they were dead, or unless they, you know, were from, from the, the particular um, countries in Latin America, it was the local artists that were not being represented. And that's why a lot of cultural centers started growing in the United States because they did have galleries and they did have programming for artists. And that was one of the things that I was really interested in was, and I felt very proud of, to be able to have such a beautiful gallery where finally these artists could exhibit their work in a very professional, clean look that really made it look like a gallery in Soho, a gallery in California, a gallery in Chicago. You know, it didn't look like it was running down, you know, like ghetto. It was finally, this was it. This is finally a space for artists to feel confident about their work, good about their work, and, you know, professionals. Great. And how do you, how did you find the reception of the community to the the art and the gallery exhibits that were well it's been real it's been um it's been a little rocky i think because um i think it's been a great reception and during the grand opening we had of course you know thousands of people um i think there's been some artists that feel they and it's not by my choice it's just by time and scheduling that not not everyone can i would prefer that each artist have their time in the gallery than have 12 artists each month one artist a month it's just not it's not how galleries or museums work you got to give people enough time to be able to come and visit the artwork so because of that, and I'm tell you, telling you that now, so we have two to three months that an exhibit goes, and then another one. So that's about five exhibits a year. That's only five artists or five different, you know, or groups. Some artists are very impatient, and when you tell them that we're booked for two years, they're not very happy. But, so that's been a challenge. Mm -hmm. Some of the complaints about well, how come I'm not in there yet? And uh, But the, some of the artists, and I think that the other challenge has really been 
that because we've been such a young staff, it has been, and a small budget for a huge facility, that has been very hard to market or to even think about how are we going to market. Again, a cultural center is different than a museum because you've got different programs and they're not all related. You know, uh, one artist is not related to what we're having for Cinco de Mayo. It may not have anything to do with that. So, you know, it's, it's trying to balance what, and we're learning, and we're also learning how much it takes to, to market. And we also have to figure where to market and who, who are the best, the, well, the best um, neighborhoods to target. So it's, it's still a lot of work to be done, a lot of work to be done. And I think that artists, you know, in some ways, the artists that have shown in the last five years, they're very lucky to have shown here. At the same time, it has been challenging for them because we are new, and they, they probably are not going to get maybe the same attention that the next you know, group of artists might get because we may have more money um, for marketing. And also because we've, we're growing our audience, that I see more people coming to the openings than I did the first couple of years. Mm -hmm. So it's not always, wasn't always the best to be the first in line. Could be better if you wait, you know? Mm -hmm. And can you talk about the community gallery element there? That, well, the interesting thing about the space, the architectural space, is that it was created to have this feeling of, of being inside outside. And if you ever go to um, Mexico, you, you get that a lot in a lot of the buildings, especially the public buildings of interior, outerior. And so the, the entrance to the huge auditorium has this beautiful walkway that has all this glass and a reflection pool. But even though it's really beautiful, and you do have that sense of being outside, even though you're inside, is that there was something missing. And, you know, there's also, having worked with different artists, there's different kinds of artists. You get your folk art, you've got, you know, your professional artists, and then you've got your emerging artists. You've got different categories of artists. And so the main gallery, because it's such a very specific space, it's got high ceilings, and it's big, it, it works best for group shows or for a professional artist that um, has enough work. So the challenge was, hmm, what about those other artists who um, are emerging or don't, you know, don't have enough artwork or um, you know, they're, they're not professional, but they love doing, and they meet the mission of, of the MAC. So uh, we thought, why not use this space? There was this wall, and not a lot of light. I mean, even though it's lit, there's not a lot of light that directly hits anything. So um, Jose Rodriguez and I, the installer, uh, went to City Hall, and we looked at how they hung things there. Because, again, there were really no walls in that space. So we noticed a very you know, simple technique that they used. And so we decided to turn it into 
more of a community gallery because there were a lot of local artists that were, again, not professional necessarily, but just wanted to share their art. And, or students, like we just had our first college student from UT. And so it's worked out beautifully. And Gloria Spathia also, um, thank goodness to her, has had some amazing exhibits in that space as well. So that's community. And also it gives people, as they're walking through the auditorium, a chance to go, hmm, what is this? Um, something to look at rather than just walking through this empty corridor. Um, how long did you spend as gallery coordinator? Uh, two, two years. And now um, let's talk about your new position as um, the manager here at the MAC. And maybe start off by when you heard of that position, if it was another phone call. <laughs> Let's see, was it a phone call? And what you thought about it when you <laughs> got the phone call? Um, no, well, it was, well, because I was in it, I was involved in it, I knew that um, Simon Ortha was uh, stepping down and that the position was going to come open. And so... Uh, it was really funny because this time it wasn't a phone call. It was more um, who's going to apply. And uh, I remember st my staff or my coworkers at the time saying you should really apply. And I remember thinking, what, are you crazy? I don't want this responsibility. And I don't remember, oh gosh, I wish I could remember who it was. Well, everyone had their input, and I think it was Jose Rodriguez, um, the exhibit installer, and my friends who, again, going back to at least having friends that you could trust, that they can give you the best advice, or, you know, you, you would be silly not to at least try, you know. And so... I thought, yeah, that's that's a good point. At least I should try, you know. And it was grueling, incredibly grueling, which was probably a good thing. Uh, and it was grueling because I think I went through four different panels. So for the first one, and that was that was probably the most nerve-wracking one. And after the first one, and I got through the first one, the second one. I was like, okay, all right, let's 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 do this. After that second one, I thought, gosh darn it, I want this. I want this really bad. Because it wasn't until, you know, when people start asking you questions as to why do you want this, it really makes you think, you know. Not only am I capable of it, or you, your heart's got to want it. And by the second panel, I wanted it. I wanted it really bad. And so then by the third, I was, you know, I was getting stronger. And then my last panel was the board. And I was already the liaison. <laughs> so there were a lot of little things like that, people I knew when I was 
working towards something that I think um, the angels work with you on it, you know. And uh, I think having been the liaison also helped me feel more comfortable with the board. I didn't know, I, didn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't being pretentious and thinking that I had it in the pocket because I already knew them and I worked with them. I knew that I still had to answer their questions and they were not easy. They had some good questions. Mm -hmm. And did your vision change from the time that you started? So when you became the director, how did it change <coughs> to now, I guess? It continues. Mm -hmm. It continues to change. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel that when I first started working in 2005, um, I felt like I was like 20 years old. And you know, now I feel like I'm, well I am, I'm 40 something. Um, so that's how much growth I feel I, I've, I've gone through. Um, not, not easy by any means, but I'm still here because I wanna be here. I'm here because I'm committed to not only the mission, I don't think it's the mission so much of the MAC, it's the history. It's everything that I learned as a child and as a teenager and as an adult being in college that I knew was, and it continues to be, when I see programs like Margarita Cabrera, who is working um, on this amazing community-based project with immigrant families, that it, it gives me chills. And it gives me chills because it, it really speaks of my past. It speaks of uh, everything I've done has been important and why we do the things that we do, you know. And I totally understand Margarita's um, uh, role and understanding and her being so humble, you know, and not feeling like it's because of me that they've done this. I don't see that, you know, and I don't see myself ever seeing things like that either. I just love seeing families that are happy uh, leaving here, and I never see it as it's because of me. It's then I know we did something right, you know, um, because I always wished I was one of those families you know, with my family. Having a, a safe place to work together on a very cultural and important project. You know, if there was anything that I wish I had, had had with my family, it would have been that. And I think there's a lot of families that I think I would love to reach in that way. I can't do it, but I know that we have a lot of wonderful people like Margarita who can. And those are the people that we want to bring to the center. And so that is one thing that I see happening in terms of enriching not only the people that we, we have here, but um, from being the exhibit coordinator, which was just one, one thing that I was focusing on to a bigger scope of community service is more my thing. It's it's really 
maybe when I retire, I'll go back to thinking about opening a gallery, you know, and just settling in and doing one thing. But juggling all these different um, components, that's what a cultural center should be doing. And it's not easy, but as long as you're committed to it and I feel your heart's in it, and, and people like Margarita can make me proud of the fact that we have this facility to be able to do something like that, that's huge, especially here in Austin. And how do you feel the MAC fulfills a different part of the community here in Austin? Because you have Mexicarte, which is a nonprofit. Um, you have La Peña, um, the Blanton. What is, what is the MAC's role in, in the art community here and in the larger community? Well, I think it's huge. Um, the major component that it has is space. We have a lot of space. We have classrooms, we have a plaza, we have an auditorium, we have a theater, and we want people to come here because it is a very unique space. And uh, we invite people to, you know, as I was saying earlier, sometimes you have to step away from your environment because when you find a space, when you come to, like when I was, when I found out that I was getting interviewed and then after I got interviewed and, and I was driving around the Mac, I felt so good. There was, there's something about the space, you know? And if we can bring people here to do workshops like Margarita Cambrera has been doing, I know, I see it in their eyes that they are so happy to come here. You know, it's a place, and it's a and it's a good place, and so as opposed to, again, the difference of museums. Unfortunately, I think sometimes museums have that. Oh, you can't touch, oh, you can't be messy, oh, you have to. You know, there's a lot of rules and a lot of, you know, directions that have to be followed in order for you to be able to do what you're supposed to be doing, and here it's it's different. Cultural centers are different. You're supposed to talk. You're supposed to meet each other. You're supposed to converse, and you're supposed to create a dialogue, and you're supposed to talk about your experiences. To me, it's more of an emotional drive. Uh, it's not just about art. It's not just about music. It's not just about this. It's about everything. You go to one of our workshops, and you hear music. Some of the kids are dancing. Some of the kids are playing outside. I mean, it's a, it's a great place to come and have fun, to be entertained, and to learn. And not just to learn about, you know, culture and art, you know, it's about learning about each other's experiences, their background, and making friends. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned the Margarita Cabrera um, collaboration that you're doing. Can you talk about some of the other groups that you've collaborated with? Well, we've been very lucky to work with um, a number of disciplines, different disciplines in dance, theater, and music. And uh, one of our big ones is our four-day musical event where we work with Crossroads and Bellas Artes. And when I say lucky, I mean because one of the ways that we're able to provide these kinds of programs is 
we're nonprofit groups and groups who can go out and raise money to pay performers to come and do their um, performances is huge because we don't have a budget to pay that many performers. And so it you know becomes a collaboration, becomes this wonderful partnership. And I think, you know, again, it's one of those, those differences between a cultural center and a museum is that we're creating families. I mean, we're creating um, this really, oh, hey there, how you, hey, how's it going, hey, you know, kind of um, that, that warmth of, oh, you're back again, great, come on, let's, let's work together. Uh, rather than, oh, you go there, you come back, and that's it, you never see them again. And because we've been able to work with all these different groups, it's just so wonderful for them to just come. They're familiar with the space, or they're getting more familiar with the space, and they know what to kind of expect. And so Teatro Vivo, Teatro Proyecto, um, Rowan, we've worked with Rowan and performances. And a lot of musical groups have performed here. And uh, so Margarita is really the first visual artist that we've had that has done um, a whole month workshop. And uh, it's been unbelievable, very memorable. And uh, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be so sad when they're gone. Um, but it's something that, again, <clears throat> it's like we're trying something and, and that, that's, the great thing about a cultural center is that you have that that liberty of being able to try those different things. You know, we're not stuck on just the whole idea of being a museum and this is the philosophy and the theory of what you need to do in a museum. Cultural center is 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 bigger. It's bigger than that. And so you have more options mm -hmm. and you have more opportunities to meet so many different types of people from different backgrounds, different um, creative energies, and you know, and and to me, one of um, my goals in in all of this is for all of them to kind of come together and to cross, you know, and to have more of that that crossing of um, disciplines, and so I think that's what I want to experiment with in the next few years is to have um, some of these different groups. So it's not just theater, but it's theater and dance working together. It's theater and visual arts working together. Or all three, it doesn't matter, but um, I wanna give it a try. And what about other collaborators? Like, I know that you work with AISD on some things. Can you talk about that a little bit? <laughs> the, um, Colleges, uh, academic schools, um, academia, and um, public schools, we, we have. It's a little bit more challenging with um, AISD because they don't have funding to bring their students most of the time. So we rely on people that do have grants that have a project like Walmart um, had with UT to um, basically provide uh, services to some of the teachers in the, some of the schools to learn about Tejano history. 
and and to have the workshops here we had hundreds of, of students here that were given this wonderful presentation um, about Tano history and so but again it's through those levels of funding that are necessary because we do our own programming but we're very open to schools like AISD and any college who has an idea that they want to propose to us they usually have to have funding because we can't again we don't have a budget to pay uh, all those performers or presenters to come and, and talk mm -hmm. but uh, we were very open to it mm -hmm. and we did we have in the beginning we worked a lot with UT um, and there were some exhibits the Malikias Montoya exhibit that was through UT and also we had some some presentations here because of that and the Seri print project um, the Seri print project through Sam Coronado I mean we've worked with him many times and he's had some workshops in conjunction with an exhibit that um, that we had in the gallery that was very successful and that was part of a huge printmaking um, conference that was held here and so that brought in people from from different states and major cities mm -hmm. throughout the states so yeah that was that was very exciting but I think that that's one of our goals too is to somehow work more or find ways to work more with um, AISD and and colleges mm -hmm. you know because I think that you know, like Sam, Sam's very receptive to bringing his students here, and, and he did yesterday. He brought them to, to see the exhibit, and Dr. Samara was too, you know. But um, we, there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of, well, you know, Cassie, because there's some professors that they teach, they do their research, they do their books, they write their books, and the community is just not part of their vocabulary. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I think, it, I think it is really important. Mm -hmm. I see in your role that you have to work with a lot of different groups. Um, can you talk about how you work with the city <laughs> and, and the advisory board? Um, just kind of the, the administrative part of, of your job. <coughs> um, I don't find it, um, well, it's not as creative, <laughs> but um, I don't, I, yeah, I don't mind it uh, one bit. It's, it's part of who I am. It's part of my professional career to be on top of things. I think it's truly important that I be on top of things because this is a huge responsibility to be in charge of a facility, um, to know when the building is, is in need of something. Um, I'm okay with that. You know, it's funny. I, I, I'm like, that's why I didn't want to become a manager. I'm like, are you kidding? You want me to do what? And I have to do what? And filters and, and HVACs. Oh, God, this gives me a headache already. But I'm loving it. I love it. I love having that responsibility because um, if I take care of it, and it's going to take care of us. And so I think it's really important that, to me, it's challenging but if I get through it and 
I, I can fix major things that are wrong with it, then I know that I've accomplished something really, really important. Maybe not everyone has to see that or know that or you know, really see it, but as long as I know that people aren't complaining that it's hot or too cold, then I'm happy about that, you know, and I'm okay with, with it. Um, the fact that when I was working at Mexicarte, um, I also, I didn't, wasn't really part of the board, but I sometimes had to help Sylvia with the board. So I had that background of understanding the role of staff and boards. Mm -hmm. And so I slowly um, started getting into working with the board before the last um, manager left. So I was already getting my feet wet in that. And um, so it was, it was a pretty good, quick change. Mm -hmm. um, and this for this oral history project, we're, we're working with a lot of people in the community who are involved and have a very long history with the MEC. Um, what kind of reception have you got in the community? And maybe what are some of the benefits of having them and some of the challenges of working with the community? Uh, with the community that has let's, the... Let's start with the history, the people who have mm -hmm. been involved in the MAC from for the last 40 years. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you come into contact with them. <coughs> the ones that I have come in contact with have been very positive um, and, and supportive. And if... If any of them have said anything negative, I haven't heard, and I, I don't want to hear it. Um, but I, you know, I expect it. If if there is going to be some sort of um, negative comment, or not negative, but you know, maybe not so um, supportive, I'm expecting it. Again, because I come from a different background. I didn't grow up here. Um, but, you know, I'm trying to, in this conversation with you and in conversation with myself and in conversation with what I've been doing here and, and how I'm the manager now, um, I don't think it's that important anymore in terms of history because uh, what's important now is the now and the future. I think the history is important in explaining how it got here, but I don't think it's important to say, well, so-and-so didn't do enough or didn't say enough or wasn't part of this or wasn't part of that. Um, somehow, I feel that I came into it because my experience in, in later in the Latino arts community was important as an administrator. I'm, I'm never going to say that I became involved in this because I was an artist. I have knowledge of art history in Latin American art history, but I'm not going to say I, I'm, I'm an expert in theater or I'm an expert in dance. I can say that I, I have more of a passion for the visual arts, but um, it's not more of a passion. It's more of a um, just an experience that I've had more so than, than anything. But remember too, I mean, I have to remember too, myself, that even when I was at Mexicarte Museum, 
one of the things that Sylvia was really trying to do, um, I don't think it was as successful, is to have music and to have theater and to have um, movies in that space. But I don't think it was very successful. Uh, so all of, it th all of that is, is cultural, you know. So getting back to your question, I think that, um, you know, there have been some, you know, questions as to, you know, maybe why am I the manager? Um, people will, will always ask that, you know. But if you look at my record, you listen to this interview, you may have a better idea as to why I'm here, you know. And in terms of the community, um, of course it's been super challenging. You're always, I think one of the hardest things about being a manager is accepting um, really uh, just kind of sometimes mean comments about what you're not doing, what you're not providing. Uh, it's always about not what you're not doing and what you're not doing right. And um, you take it with a grain of salt, like they say, and you just move on. And to me, sometimes, unfortunately, you have to hear those things in order to strengthen yourself and understand that when something or someone says something that you, you can't take it to mean it all. That it's it's that 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 that's the word, you know, and that everybody believes that, um, because to me, when you start, when, well, I'm trying to think that any time you hear something negative, that I always put myself into the, the positive, and the positive being of all the different things and all the wonderful experiences and memories that I have that I've done outweigh maybe one day receiving that bad message. Yeah. And so. how do you foresee, and how would you like to see the community involved in the future? Just kind of what I was saying, uh, what Margarita is doing, I want to see more of that. I want to see different, different parts of the community, Cassie. I want to see, that's what I loved about Margarita's project, is that she brought in the immigrant community. Uh, one that I don't think we ever really thought about, not, not, not to not bring, but we, it just wasn't on our, you know, list. Mm -hmm. And so I want to rethink that totally. And, um, and there's other communities. There's the seniors, there's college students, um, there's, there's a lot of communities a lot of different groups that I feel we still have a lot of work to do in bringing more people here. Um, to me, I envision it to be more active, just like the architect was always wanting this place to be, is a, a place of activity. Mm -hmm. And I get the best joy sometimes when I see, like when Margarita, uh, one afternoon was here, and then there was something else going on downstairs, and then there were a bunch of people in the gallery. You know, when people are moving from one location to the other because there's something going on, uh, to me, that's, that's huge. And so 
I just want it to also, like I said earlier, not only a place of entertainment and uh, education, but a place of growth that people, when they come here, they know that they're always going to get something different. And by getting something different, that they're also learning something about themselves that's different that they didn't realize they liked, but now they like. And so to me, that's growth. That's like you learn something about yourself that you didn't know you liked, but now you like it. So I'm going to continue doing this because I may learn something else. You know, and there, when you think about it, there's not too many places that I think about constantly visiting, you know, because they provide that mental um, stimulation or that intellect stimulation. Uh, you know, people go to libraries for a reason, you know, people go to museums for a reason, but when you think about cultural centers, it's a different approach and it's, you know, it's timing. It's got to be perfect timing and the perfect type of program. And so it's, it's challenging, but it's fun. What are, what, what are the, the top challenges you see now as the director, the manager? Good question. Um, well, I think definitely, I, I don't know if it's challenging as much as um, that the community is definitely the biggest challenge in terms of finding out who we should really um, tar be targeting uh, and finding the resources to target that group. So that's always, you know, challenging in terms of marketing. Uh, and figuring out what type of um, concerns and issues people in different areas and different um, age groups are going through, what they're going through what it is that they're wanting that stimulates them is very challenging. Um, how to do that? You know, we, we've talked about having, um, you know, uh, community conversations, you know, but, uh, you know, we got to think about something maybe a little bit more creative. And so that's challenging trying to, to get the community here and figuring out um, the resources on how to get them here, and then what do we do with that? What, what are we, how are we going to create those programs? Um, I think the second thing definitely is the facility. It's a huge space, and there's a lot of physical management involved. And so as a manager, I have to strategically be sure to hire the right people to make sure that the facility stays clean because people complain. I would too, you know. Um, and that, that it's functioning, you know, to its full capacity. Everything from the, the safety of the building when you come visit it at night to its, its heating and cooling system, um, you know, those things are really important. And, but they're challenging because I'm not a techie in, in those areas. So, but, you know, again, it's like anything in life. If you don't know something, you, 
either ask or you go get help because I'm not one to just sit and not do anything about it, you know. Um, I guess uh, another challenge would definitely be to make sure that, uh, that we continue to complete the building and uh, that next time we complete it, after learning all these things that we've learned in the last five years, that when it comes to completion, that we would have learned enough to know what is needed in those final phases, in those the, the final completion of the building. And that's, that's always gonna be challenging mm -hmm. because again, it goes back to creating those programs. If we're gonna get a theater, um, you know, how, how all that's gonna work and, uh, you know, programming. Um, and what are the most rewarding parts of your job? The goosebumps come when um, I hear conversations um, between people that are really enjoying themselves in one of our workshops, uh, especially this of Margarita Cabrera's. And they're talking about um, their life experiences and, you know, just their conversations are so genuine and and while they're painting, you know, they're telling their stories. And to me, that is, there's nothing like it. Mm -hmm. um, what would you like to see happen for the MAC in the next five years, in the next 10 years? Um, well, definitely have uh, more, more I guess uh, professional, not necessarily professional. Well, professional performers, um, not just local, but kind of spread it out, and really becoming more known for the larger quality of the programming that we do. I think that we should always have that balance of local. Um, artists, definitely, always. But I think that we also cannot stay in one place. We have to really build on the rest of, of Texas, hopefully become more national, um, recognized. Mm -hmm. And because we brought in so-and-so, because we brought in so-and-so, and I know it's huge, but I think it's important because all the work that we do here, that everybody does, including the artists, it's important. But it's not going to be important if not enough people see it and hear it or experience it. So it's, it's got to it's gotta grow. It can't just stay in one place all the time, forever. It's got to be bigger than that because it can have anything that we missed that you'd like to add? Let's see. Hmm. No, I don't think so. I think um, the best part of, I think, anyone coming to, to the MAC is meeting so many different, not only meeting new people, 
but it, I think it's also a place where you haven't seen somebody in years, and, and this is like a place to, to find that, you know? I certainly have. Great. Well, thank you very much for mm -hmm. your time. Today. Yeah. Thank you. Not bad.